Well, we're going to continue our journey in this study of the book of Esther called Behind the Scenes. We got a few more props up here, and uh, I guess the Oscar's going to go to uh, Pastor Dan and Mark today. But uh, I was wondering how many of you have ever been a winner? A winner. I know some people probably called you a real winner. But it, it's fun to win. We all support a winner, right? And this morning we're going to see Esther being a winner. And as I was thinking back about being a winner, I mean, this is a little bit of trivia about my background. But back when I was about 10 years old, I went to a, a summer camp, a Christian camp. And, and uh, during the camp time, they had competition between the campers for different sporting events. Well, I entered the competition of horseshoes. I mean, it was a vigorous, rigorous type of social and sports activity, obviously. But anyways, at 10 years old, I actually was pretty good at pitching horseshoes. And there was a guy at the camp that was a real bully. And um, he was kind of egotistical. He was older than me. He was like two years older than me. And, and you went through this single elimination competition. And so I went through all these different single elimination. I got to the final round. So I was playing for the championship of summer camp for horseshoes. And I beat this kid. And he did not like it, but man, I gloried in that moment. The first time I was ever a winner. You know, we all love a winner, you know. Well, anyways, now that you've been completely blessed by that story, let's move on, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Esther was a winner, and the title of the message is, And the Winner Is. Um, Let's start by just a little review, because we've been kind of, this has almost been like a reality TV type of book. Esther is. And we said before, the reason why we call it behind the scenes is because God's never mentioned by name in all of Esther, and yet God was all over this book in orchestrating the circumstances and events that took place in Esther's life. So we want to go back and remember that, if you remember, Queen Vashti, who was the queen of Persia, refused to come to uh, dance or display her physical beauty in front of a bunch of drunk men, and consequently she was banished from the kingdom. And then the uh, kingdom went without a queen for four years, and consequently there was uh, a willingness of some of the aged to realize that the king needed that significant other. He, he needed that intimacy in his life, and so they suggested having this beauty contest, if you will. And uh, so this is how it went down. So let's look at verse 5 of chapter 2, and uh, we'll read along here. Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. You remember the Jews had been conquered uh, through Babylon, and now it was under the Persian Empire. And so most of the Jews were dispersed and in exile. Among those taken captive was Joachim, king of Judah, who had been carried, I'm sorry, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. So we know that Esther was an orphan child who was adopted. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, Did I just read that? Sorry about that. Let's go on. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Now, we need to remember, according to what Josephus tells us, an historian of the day pretty much tells us that they think there were probably at least 400 gals in this mix of this so-called beauty contest. Verse 9. Or Esther also was taken by the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge over the harem. The, girls pleased, the girl pleased him and won his favor. 
Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her to seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. She was immediately elevated to the top of the list. She was in the final 12 or whatever you want to call it, let's say. And during that period of time, she had all the organic food she wanted and all the beauty treatments she could ever ask for. And this went on, by the way, for an entire year. So it's like Esther was in this, quote, health spa for an entire year with pretty much at everything at her disposal. I want to just share with you here that these women that were taken by the king's uh, aides, these women were literally taken. Literally, that word taken means that they were taken by force. So in other words, what was going on here, when, when the king made this decree to go out and find this next queen, they were literally kidnapped and they were trafficked, almost like sex slaves. They were brought into the kingdom as a part of the harem and they were given this year's time to beautify themselves to hopefully give the best performance they could for the king. It was almost like the the reality show Bachelor. I mean, it was really ridiculous. But these women were literally taken against their will. So what we see here, this is an orphan girl who was probably 17, 18, somewhere in that neighborhood, who was a very beautiful young gal who was a Jew who was actually kidnapped and taken. And so I want to give you this first principle because this is really incredible because her life was totally disrupted. And the first one is this. Often trials come our way when we least expect them. Do you think... That for one minute, Esther expected to be taken or kidnapped that day in her life. I mean, a lot of times our trials are certainly unexpected, right? They they seem to take us by surprise. And what was going on with her is that um, she was probably living sort of this peaceful life in maybe pretty much obscurity having a, a, a Persian name because obviously the Jews were hated by most people. And so a lot of the, the uh, Jews carried Persian names just to kind of create less controversy. But all of a sudden now this trial comes her way. And we read about these trials in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 where it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Here was a a girl who realized that there was a trial that came her way. And I want you to notice in that verse, by the way, it says, whenever. It doesn't say if ever you face trials. You know, it's funny how it is interesting. You know, life brings us trials. It's, it's It's a given. We all have trials. And it's just a matter of when, not a matter of if. But they're always a disruption in our lives, right? They always mess us up. It messes up our routine. And that's why my principle number two is this. God will use trials to move us from the mundane to the meaningful. What I mean by that is, is that God has a plan in mind even when those trials come. And in this case, we know the rest of the story, right? We know that Esther was being moved towards the queen of Persia and towards the ultimate issue that she had to face in saving her people. We know the rest of the story here, but I want you to see here that what God does oftentimes is he uses trials in our lives to take those mundane routine areas of our life and and make them into something really meaningful, which means that, what does that meaningful mean? It means that we're going to have a greater strengthening of our faith. We're going to have a greater strengthening of our perseverance and our character. And so we need trials in our lives. And here was a young gal who was having an incredible trial in her life. And yet we, she didn't know it at the time, but that trial was going to move her from this routine life of a Jewish girl into the absolute, one of the most powerful places in the Persian kingdom. So look at verse 9 again. 
Verse 9 says this, the girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. She was immediately, for some, something about Esther, elevated her right away into this uh, credibility with Haggai, the one who was in charge of this entire contest. So you see, uh, Esther had something about her. Something about her character that elevated her to this place and to the top list of these candidates. Now, what I think was going on with Esther is that there was a lot more going on than her external beauty. And you remember last week what I said is, is that women should never underestimate the glory of their inner beauty. Well, I think Esther brought inner beauty to this contest. All these women, if she was competing with, certainly were probably very beautiful ladies. The problem was, is that, or the issue was for Esther, is that something about her, her inside, her character, and and it maybe was her authenticity and her genuineness, we don't know, but there was something about Esther that immediately made her very attractive in this particular contest. So principle number three is this, God's desire for us is to impress the world with our godly character. God wants us to be the same way. When we walk on a day-to-day basis, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's at home, wherever we are, there should be something about us, that inner being that we bring to the table that has authenticity and genuineness and integrity and godly character. That's a very attractive thing. How many of you uh, know people in your life who are just unattractive, that seem to have an ego problem? They're insecure. They're not authentic. They're trying to have something to prove and something to lose. And those are the kinds of people that you almost kind of keep it at arm's length. But those people who are genuine and authentic and have a great integrity and are real, those are the people that seem to, to rise to the top, at least in my life. I don't know about you. And that's all about godly character. And so here was a, a gal who, who immediately found, had something to give way beyond her external beauty. I guess the question that I would leave with you this morning is what impression are you making? What do people see in your life on a day-to-day basis? Do they see this godly character manifested in your life? Do they see the humility and the transparency and the authenticity and the integrity that you bring to the table? It's so critical for us as believers to have that kind of representation because that's what Jesus would do. Well, let's go on in the story. Let's read verses 10 and 11. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Why? Obviously, if she would have done that, can you imagine what 400 women would have perhaps or the other 399 would have done to Esther if they would have found out she was a Jew? Can you imagine the catfights and the backlash and all of that because of the competitive nature of this event? So, so basically what Mordecai was saying, Esther, don't reveal your nationality. It's only going to bring a, a lot of backlash. And he was trying to protect her as best that he could. And so he forbid her to do that. So every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. It's really interesting here that he was sort of like a hovering dad. But it was really important to him because he was so worried about 
his, his adopted daughter, that he was trying to stay in touch with her, stay at least at some point along the journey to find out if she was okay or how she was handling things, how, how things were going. It was, a, it was like a, a dad who never stopped being a dad. And I thought about that for a minute and I thought, you know what? I'm going to take that right out of that particular passage because I think my principle number four is this. You never stop being a parent. I mean, she was pretty much on her own. She was old enough to be in the situation that she was. And yet, he wanted to make sure she was okay. And how many of us as dads and as grandparents and moms and dads, and, and, and you know, you never really stop being a parent, do you? Your kids grow up, they're adults, and yet you still pray for them. You still kind of want to protect them. You want to do whatever you can to be encouraging to them. Somebody asked us sometime, one time, my wife and I, and said, you know, it must be so great to be a grandparent. And you know, there is. It's a wonderful thing to be a grandparent. But when your grandkids are struggling, you struggle for two, so two people. You struggle for your kids and your grandkids. You know, have you ever noticed that? And what's really cool here, here's a guy who didn't stop being a parent. I, I, I would assume that he'd be praying for them. And, and we should never stop praying for our kids and our grandkids. We never stop being a parent, do we? Maybe we don't have the control that we had before, but we certainly have the influence through our prayers. And I believe that's what Mordecai was doing with his daughter, Esther. Here's, let's move on in the story. Now, let's read verses 12 through 15. Before a girl's turn came to go to the king's Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil and of myrrh, and six months with perfumes and cosmetics. If you were an Avon lady, man, you were driving a pink Cadillac, right? I mean, this was, this was an amazing story here. Okay, let's move on. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Let me just stop right there for a second. You see, what, what most historians tell us is, is that these women would be able to have just about anything at their disposal to enhance their physical appearance. So it could be a lot of extra jewelry, it could be the finest outfit, the finest silks, whatever it was, they had the opportunity to do whatever they could to impress the king, right? It's almost like the reality show Bachelor, even though I don't watch it, but I've heard that's the way it is, okay? So that's what they had. In the evening, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name, okay? So this was the way they would eliminate each gal one at a time. Verse 15. When, when the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughters of his uncle Abihel, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hegai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. So you see something here that I think that I pulled out of this, the way I understood it is this, that somehow Esther had found favor with the king and, and so she wants to please the king based upon uh, what the situation was. And so she goes to Haggai and says, you know what? Tell me what you think I should bring. And, you know, it was almost like there was this simplicity about Esther, this, this idea that, you know what? Um, I don't have to dazzle this guy. I don't have anything to prove here. But you tell me what I should bring to the king because I'm, I'm really not sure what I should, what I should bring. And so Haggai gives her apparently some suggestions, and so this is um, what she did. 
And verse 15, by the way, at the end of that verse, it says, and Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. And so you see here that Esther had this attitude that, that if, if she won, she won. If she didn't, she didn't. I, I feel like that was like she had nothing to prove and nothing to lose. And she was trying to approach this with great authenticity, humility. And what happened was in all of that, everybody seemed to like her. It was like she was Miss Congeniality in this, this contest, right? She was just this, this, this sweetheart that everybody seemed to like. And so I thought about that for a minute and I thought in principle number five is this, is that winsomeness in relationships is inspired by authenticity and humility. We've already talked about that. There was a winsomeness about Esther and there was a simplicity about Esther that I think was extremely attractive and consequently this brought great favor to her and the king. It's a really interesting perspective that I see her take in this particular contest. Call it a context, whatever you would like to say. So here's Esther now. She's in a position where she uh, wins the favor of the king. Now let's go to verses 17 and 18. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he sets a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. So he proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. So we see here where Esther then becomes the queen. Now, I don't know about you, but this came from a place of obscurity in her life and an intrusion in her life to something that somehow elevates her to, the, to be the queen of Persia, the most powerful kingdom in the world at that day. Now, you look at this story, and I would love to get into Esther's head more. I don't know about you, just to kind of know what she was thinking through this entire process. But it's amazing to me how God has orchestrated all these events up to this point and used a, a pagan king and queen and their broken marriage to bring Esther into the picture, being kidnapped, and it just blows my mind up to this point of all the circumstances that were orchestrated to bring her to this point in her life. So as I looked at this story so far, I began to think about what are those big rocks? What are those things that I can take out of this story that outside of the little things that I've already shared with you in these principles that we can take home with us so we can begin to fully understand or comprehend what I think was going on here? Let me just share with you what I think. The first one is this. Winners find ways to turn obstacles into opportunities. Winners find ways to turn obstacles into opportunities. It's amazing to me what was going on in this girl's mind. But because of this fact that she was taken, she was trying to, if you will, make lemonade out of lemons. And to put it in, in, in maybe sort of a crass sort of way. But, but what I see here is a woman who decided, hey, look, I'm in this situation. I need to make the best of it and try to come out of this somehow, because somehow maybe God is orchestrating all of this. I don't know what it's all about, but I'm going to just kind of be a, a vessel in God's hand. I'm going to make the best of it. It's kind of like, if you remember what happened to Joseph, when Joseph was taken and lied about by Potiphar's wife, and he ends, she ends up in prison. And what does he do in prison? He makes the best out of that opportunity, right? He's elevated into place of authority in the prison, and he is, uh, end, ends up, you know, uh, 
discerning the dreams of the king and he's released from prison and he ends up becoming uh, extremely elevated into uh, the hierarchy of Egypt. So you look at Joseph, you think about Paul, when Apostle Paul was thrown into prison, what did he do while he was in prison? He shared the gospel and all the guards around them heard the gospel. I, I see that where, where, where life sometimes is frustrating and, and confusing and messed up and circumstances look terrible, Winners take that, instead of seeing it as an obstacle, use it for an opportunity. Instead of whining and complaining and feeling like a victim and, you know, somehow they've, they've been able to, to raise up under God's authority and say, you know what, whatever this is, you know, I'm going to make the best of it. And I see Esther doing that as best that she could. So rather than bellyache and complaining, she decided, look, I'm going to do what I can and be the best that I can be. Okay, here's the second thought. Winners always remain teachable. What I see here with Esther is that there are two areas where you see her representing this teachability. The first one is when his, her uncle said, hey Esther, don't tell anybody your nationality. Now, it could have been an out for her. If she would have said at any point in time during this year, she could have said, look, I'm Jewish. Well, she would have, number one, received the wrath of all of the, probably the women in the competition. She could have even been ex or thrown out of the competition. She could have been, there's a lot of things that could have happened to her. But, and, and she could have escaped this whole idea of trying to be a part of this, quote, sex slave industry and, and, and walk away from it somehow, some way. But she chose to listen to her uncle and say, okay, I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll be obedient here. But then the second time we see it is when, when she goes to Haggai and she says, hey, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should bring to the table here? So I see a teachability in Esther that I think we need to also have in our own lives. When we stop being teachable, when we stop learning from others, we can get awfully close-minded, arrogant, and unfortunately, that's really not what God wants for us in our lives. We always need to remain teachable. I, I think about any of us that, that maybe have, been, have heard the book of Esther, for instance, for many, many years. Some of you have heard this Esther story, uh, you know, ad endem, you know, whatever. And, and you, you, you came to church and saying, you know, I know all the stuff about Esther. Well, when we come with that attitude, how, how is God going to work? How is God going to penetrate? How is God going to break through that? So I see Esther as a person who remained teachable throughout the process. And we're going to see it even more so later on when she has to take some risks. Okay, here's the third thought. Winners do not allow the culture to dictate their behavior. The reason why Esther was such a winner in my mind is because she could have been caught up in all the extravagance. I mean, imagine this. A poor Jewish girl. And now for a solid year, having everybody at her fingertips. I mean, everybody was serving her. All these beauty treatments, all the things that were lavished on her, all the extravagance didn't seem to ruin her character. And I wonder how many of us as believers who have been so caught up in our culture and we've allowed our culture to penetrate a lot of our attitudes and actions and we end up being a cultural Christian rather than one who stands alone and has become more salt and light. So here was a girl that didn't allow a lot of the trappings of her extravagance around her to change who she was on the inside. And I love that about this young lady. Here's the fourth thought. I think winners are wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That's what Jesus told the disciples when they went out to preach. 
And the reason I say that is because I think she was tapping into the wisdom of her uncle by not sharing her nationality. That was being a very wise thing. That was doing a very wise thing. But she was also, she was wise as a serpent, but she was also harmless as a dove because it wasn't one of those things where it seemed like she was jockeying for position and trying to elevate herself. She was just being a sweet, lovable servant from the inside out. And God honored that in her life. And she became elevated to the top where the king found her extremely attractive. So she was wise as a serpent, I think, and harmless as a dove. Here's a fifth thought. Winners have enough faith to recognize that no matter how difficult the circumstances, God is working his plan. This is one of the, the, the threads that's going to be woven through our entire series on the book of Esther. I don't know what was going on in Esther's mind. I, 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 we really don't. But we do know for some reason she stayed in the game. She kept her head in the game. And I think the reason why she kept her head in the game is because she knew that she was a a child of God and that God maybe was somehow working a plan. She didn't have all the pieces yet put together. But I think there's that scripture that comes back to my mind in Romans 8, 28, where it says, all things work together for good, what? Who are called according to his purpose. So, so God was, was somehow orchestrating and so she had apparently enough confidence in her life to know that no matter how frustrating, how ridiculous and how bizarre these circumstances are, my God is working out some sort of plan in my life and it's going to be ultimately more meaningful than it was last week or last year. Make sense? That's why we call it behind the scenes. And somehow, if we could just grasp that in this series more than ever before, to know that no matter what's going on in our life, God's still got it under control. If you're a child of God, you're not a victim. You may feel like some days that you're a little pawn on his chessboard, but praise God, it's his chessboard and not yours. Right? So whatever's puzzling you today, whatever you're confused about, whatever you're frustrated with, whatever circumstances you're in, you've got to go back and say, man, what I love about Esther is somehow, some way she made the best out of a difficult situation. And she turned that obstacle into an opportunity. And later on, we're going to see how God in a marvelous way used her even more. So do we get that this morning? When you're praying for your kids, when you're praying for your grandkids, when you're, when you're going day to day, when you've got health issues, you've got relational issues, financial issues, you know, personal issues, addiction issues, all those things. Remember this, if you're his child, he's got a plan and he's working it. You just better get on board. We got to get along for the ride. And that's what I see Esther doing. She was willing to get along for the ride. She was willing to take those risks. And I honor her for that. And may we all be just like her as we continue to study. Next week, we're going to see Esther not as a winner, but as a whistleblower. We'll have fun with that next week. So let's pray this morning. Father, I come to you this morning with this interesting story that was more than a reality TV show. It was definitely for real. And God, you were working in this gal's life. Thank you for a a dad, an adopted dad who took her in and loved her like his own. 
and who is so concerned about her future and protecting her, God. We thank you for godly parents and grandparents who never stop praying and never stop being concerned for their kids. But God, I thank you for this young lady who somehow, some way, had to know in the heart of hearts who she was and how you were working in her life. God, help us to know that for, our, for ourselves. Lord, it's so hard some days, God, when we feel like you're just not around or you haven't got it together. And circumstances just seem so difficult. God, remind us over and over again that behind the scenes, you're calling the shots. And we look forward to that day when we'll figure it all out when we get to see you face to face. So thank you for this opportunity to share these truths this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.